No fire sale in Flushing? That's what the Mets GM said, but as we witnessed, that was far from the case. You know I have plenty to say on the state of this franchise, but us fans may have gotten the answers that we're looking for, so you definitely don't want to miss out on what I have to say regarding the trade deadline, my beloved Mets, and everything that's happening in the wildcard and division races. Are you ready for some football? The NFL preseason kicks off tonight for those who are interested, as we're just five weeks from the start of the regular season. And what else can I get into as the sports dead zone rears its ugly head yet again? You'll just have to stick around to find out. It's all coming up. But first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels podcast begins in five, four, three, two, one. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Reels Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. We're into the month of August as we do our best to creep out of the slumber of a sports season, but you know I'll turn up the intensity as best as I know how to deliver an entertaining and informative program as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and as we get through this slog, and I know it's just three days into the month, wherever you may be or whenever you're listening to this, but the Sports Dead Zone has risen again to kind of spread its tentacles throughout the course of the landscape to say, other than baseball and a little bit of football, and yes, there's some women's soccer that I could get to, there isn't really much to dive into, much to delve into, much to unpack, but at least we have the baseball because that's where we're going to start and that's pretty much going to be the bulk of this podcast, and I get it. People are going to say, j is going to be back on his soapbox to talk about the Mets, to talk about what happened here. We heard about Max Scherzer and got his thoughts or my thoughts on what took place over the weekend. And then with Justin Verlander there about an hour and a half before the, or really three and a half hours before the trade deadline. Usually it's 4 p.m., but this year it was 6 p.m. And everybody, I'm sure, is rolling their eyes to say, all right, j Reels, let us have it. What it is you have to say about the Mets? I'll get to them eventually. But I want to encompass the whole trade deadline when it comes to some of the teams that we talked about. If you recall, right after the All-Star break, those teams that were 
looking to take that next step. The teams that haven't really been anywhere near the pennant chase, wildcard chase, have not been a part of the fabric when it comes to a push to get key pieces to fortify and bolster their roster to make a run possibly into October and beyond. And when we talked about those teams, whether it be Baltimore, Cincinnati, Miami, Arizona, those teams that have not even sniffed the postseason in quite some time, we wondered what was going to happen and transpire when it comes to those teams, knowing that they're in the thick of things, that they are part of this playoff puzzle. And as we've seen here over the course of the last couple of days, and now leading into the weekend, and you have to give it up to some of these teams, whether it is the Miami Marlins, who we talked about last week trading for David Robertson. They also bring in a guy like Josh Bell, who's a good bat, and that's expected considering that they are a team that's not going to make a big splash. They're not going to go after a high-priced pitcher or position player. Josh Bell is pretty much in their lane. So you have to give it up to them for at least trying to see what they could do to be a part of this race deep into August, obviously into September, and hopefully the chips will fall where they may when it comes to the end of September into October and maybe a postseason bid. And not to just pick on the Marlins themselves, but even the Diamondbacks trying to bring in a guy like Paul Seawald, which that's not really anything to write home about if you ask me. He was a former Met, been there, done that. I understand that he does have ability, but he's not a guy that's going to light up the sports wire when it comes to, wow, the Diamondbacks made a big move. Even a guy like Tommy Pham, who's had a good year with the Mets, and now you bring him to Arizona to see what he could do to try to put themselves in a position to stay in this race because the Diamondbacks have not played well. Even a team like the Orioles, them being in first place in the AL East and have the best record in the American League overall, But with the Justin Verlander trade from the Mets to Houston and how that changed the balance of the American League. Now, granted, we know that the Astros are the defending World Series champs and we know that they needed some help in that starting rotation and they certainly got a big shot in the arm with a guy like Verlander who they know well and has won World Series for them in the past. And I get it. Maybe it was a knee-jerk reaction knowing that As I mentioned, more than three hours before the deadline that the Orioles had to do something and they did so by bringing in the former Cardinal standout, Jack Flaherty. Now, he's a guy that is very good when he's healthy, but that's the key word in that sentence, healthy. He hasn't been a guy that's reliable when it comes to staying on the mound or at least staying in the rotation on a consistent basis. If he's healthy, he's definitely going to give them a boost. If he's going to be in and out, if he's not going to be as effective... That's where it could be a problem. And as we know, this Oriole team, the lineup, young, stocked, ready to go. Bullpen, I understand maybe overworked at this point, but on paper and what they've done throughout the course of the year, very good. But their rotation is something that needs to be a little bit more desired. When you have guys like Kyle Gibson, Tyler Wells, of course you bring in Flaherty, which is going to help, Kyle Bradish. Those are names that aren't going to have managers in the opposing dugout shivering in their boots. Now, of course, they're going to know that they're talented and they got to the playoffs. And let's say, in this case, if the Orioles do stick at the number one perch and have the 
American League go through Baltimore, which to think in one sentence, that's even kind of hard to fathom and let that sink in. But that rotation is far from the days of yesteryear, whether it's Jim Palmer, Dave McAnally, Mike Flanagan, Scott McGregor. Yes, I'm talking about Orioles teams going back to the 60s and then fast forward to the late 70s, early 80s. Those are guys that they currently have that aren't going to match up against the likes of the Garrett Coles of the world or even the Luis Castillos or a Justin Verlander, Framber Valdez, etc. That's where the advantage goes to the other team because they have studs in their rotation where the Orioles do not. So, although those teams, as I mentioned, from the periphery, they did throw their hat in the ring as far as trying to procure talent to see what they could do throughout the course of these final two months of the season. But nothing along the likes of what the Astros did. And now let's just segue there to what the Houston Astros have done. They're coming off of a sweep of the Cleveland Guardians in the middle of that Framber Valdez, the aforementioned, threw a no-hitter, 93 pitch, two nights ago. On the same day, they acquired Justin Verlander from the Mets. And is it premature to think that they are the solid favorite to come out of the American League based on this trade? It isn't out of the realm of possibility because you do have to look at the Orioles. You do have to look at even a team, dare I say, the Texas Rangers, because of their offensive firepower on that squad. But I get it. People want to all of a sudden jump on the bandwagon and think that this was the final piece to the Astro puzzle as far as them getting back to a World Series and winning. I wouldn't be so quick to say that because you do have some injuries in that lineup that, yes, they do have time to mend between now and October. And even though they're a half game behind the Texas Rangers as of right this moment, and they could overtake them and possibly become a two-seed where they would be able to set up their pitching and rest some of those guys who have been in long postseason runs. Think about this. Over the last six years, whether your name is Alex Bregman, whether your name is Jose Altuve, even Verlander for that matter, considering he goes back to the 2017 team, and I get it, he didn't pitch in 2020 due to the Tommy John surgery that he had, and even into 2021 for that matter. But still, you have a lot of length, a lot of guys who have played a ton of baseball here over the last few years, so it doesn't automatically guarantee them punching their ticket to a World Series and possibly repeating as World Series champs. But this trade's going to go a long way as to them at least maybe having that deep postseason run that we'd all expect. But that's for another story somewhere down the road. Now, let's get right to it. This Met team... As a fan, we've been bamboozled. That's all there is to it. How can the GM Billy Epler, after the Max Scherzer trade there late Saturday night on Sunday, come out and say that this is not a fire sale? When afterwards, he traded Tommy Pham, he traded Mark Canna, and then the big one being Justin Verlander. And I'll be honest, I was very surprised that they did that. They get back to prospects in outfielders Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford. Gilbert is a guy that was the number one pick, I believe, of last year. And even to go back to all of the surplus that they got, whether it was Luis Angel Acuna in the Scherzer deal, whether it was the pitcher Justin Jarvis for Mark Hanna, 
I don't know where he ranks in the Brewer farm system. And then even Tommy Pham, you bring in a guy like Jeremy Rodriguez, who's an infielder. If you're the Met front office, you have to bring back pitching. And why couldn't, at least in the Verlander trade, now I understand you're not going to pluck anybody from their current roster, but where's the pitching? I talked about this in the Scherzer deal where they brought back Acuna, and all right, that's perfectly fine, but can we also get another pitcher in the process? We are trading away a top-flight pitcher, albeit 39 years of age and on the decline, but still, with his resume, and at any given moment, he could pitch you that seven-inning, one-run, four-hit, ten-strikeout ball game, but for whatever the reason, they could have replenished their farm system based on all these deals here over the last week, but where's the pitching in the pike? And the reason why I'm surprised they traded for Lander is because when you go into next year, even though we found out later, more so through Scherzer during his introductory press conference, where he said that the Mets were transitioning in 2024 and not really going for it, that's why Scherzer precipitated a trade out of New York to Texas, and the same for Verlander back to Houston. So where was the front office to even come out to say that, oops, my bad for the fire sale, although we understand this is more the owner than it is the GM, but still, they're tied at the hip. And to know that with Verlander gone, and even with them essentially punting, let's call it as we see it, they could talk all they want, Steve Cohen in particular, who had a press conference yesterday, or at least spoke to the media, where he said that we're going to be highly competitive, we will see what the offseason brings us, obviously we're not going to go the route of bringing in the high-priced free agent, so that means uh-uh to Shohei Otani, at least for right this second, we'll see what happens come November, December, and so on, but they're not going to go that route, they're going to try to retool and go the sustainability route as far as building this team the right way to be competitive, not just for one year, not just for two years, but for five, six, and dare I even say a decade. And I'm going to get to that premise in a moment. But as far as these trades and everything that's happened, the worst team money can buy part two, if you want to call it. And I won't even go back to the 92 team and think it's, what is it, 30 years since that time? Vince Coleman, Bobby Bonilla, Eddie Murray, Brett Saberhagen, and we saw how that team just imploded. The same has happened here, although you don't have bleach incidents and fireworks being thrown in the clubhouse and things of that nature, or not in the clubhouse, that was actually outside, I believe, Dodger Stadium. Wasn't that Vince Coleman doing that and Brett Saberhagen was with the container spraying bleach toward the reporters? Now, I can't say that this is anything close to what those cast of characters were three decades ago, but this has been an unmitigated disaster. And as a Met fan, and I talked about this going back to the baseball preview, I said if there's going to be a team that's going to be a disappointment this year, it's the Mets. And I wasn't saying that to be Nostradamus or to have my thinking cap on to throw a hex on this team. I want to be wrong. But considering the payroll was north of $345 million and the expectations based on last year, 101 wins, etc., I knew that this was going to be end up being just a flat-out disappointment. Did I expect them to be at this juncture 50-57 and 57, to unload six players throughout the course of the last six weeks and for them to probably have an empty ballpark come, forget about September 1st, maybe by August 21st, where you may not even have a soul in the building? 
No, I did not expect that. But we've been bamboozled. Because the organization pushed all their chips in the middle of the table. And it did not go as planned. And now they have put their car in reverse. To go backwards. To now be a team that wants to be the Atlanta Braves North. Where they're going to try to go through the farm system. Moving forward, maybe with international money and future drafts to build a team that way. And yes, if there's a free agent or trade that is too much to resist, that they could go ahead and pull the trigger on a deal as such. So now they've changed the course to where this team is going to be, not a small market team by any stretch, but they're going to have that small market mentality in order to reshape this organization or this roster or the culture, whatever you want to call it, to the point where they could be in this not only for the short term, but for the long haul. And you know something? I'm here for it. This is what they should have done from the beginning. And I get it that Steve Cohen came in to flex those young owner muscles, which a lot of these guys do in any of these sports. Understandably so. But as we see here in, this is his third year as tenure being an owner of this Met franchise. And when you think about it, this is the second year of this experiment. You want to go back two years ago when they traded for Lindor and they signed him to the $340 million deal. And then obviously what took place last year with Scherzer and then this year with Verlander and obviously with Marte and even re-signing Nimmo. Okay, fine. Now they've pivoted and they're going to go the other way. And one more time, I'm here for it. I'm glad they're not trying to pull the wool over our eyes to say, oh no, we're going to go out there and we're going to scour the free agent market and we're going to get back to World Series or at least playoff contention and go that route. Uh Uh-uh. They figured that they're not going to blow the whole thing up, even though it does seem like that as the dust starts to settle from what has taken place here over the last week. And now they could look ahead to punt the rest of this year away And who knows what 2024 is going to bring. But I'm sure if you're Steve Cohen and company, this offseason, not to say it's going to be of the utmost importance, but I'm sure if they could get rid of some of those contracts that are on their roster currently, whether your name is Starling Marte, and why would anybody touch him? He's in his early to mid-30s. He's coming off of an injury-plagued year. And even though he had a very good year last year, but nobody's going to take the rest of that contract, which he's owed off the top of my head, $36 million. I don't think anybody is going to be in their right frame of mind. And you know the Mets are going to have to eat up a lot of contracts similar to what they had to do with Scherzer and Verlander. And I get it that when everything is all said and done, that the Mets have probably spent in upwards of $100 million on these two guys, in essence, for four or five prospects that we may not even know if they're going to pan out. Because how is the Met history when it comes to getting these prospects or even drafting players like Alex Escobar or in that Bonilla trade in 95, bringing a guy like Alex Ochoa. How did that work out? So we know that there is absolutely zero guarantee that even if Luis Angel Acuna could be half of what his brother is, doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be the case. Or Drew Gilbert or Ryan Clifford or Jeremy Rodriguez or Justin Jarvis. If one of those five guys pan out, that could be a home run. Because with the Met luck that they've had when it comes to prospects, trading for prospects, even their own homegrown talent, 
How's that turned out? And I get it, some of the homegrown talent recently has been more than good when you look at Jacob DeGrom being a rookie of the year. Same for Pete Alonzo. Jeff McNeil was a surprise, although he's had a down year. Let's see what's going to happen. Francisco Alvarez could be in the running for rookie of the year. So yes, they have had some good fortune when it comes to some of their players, whether out of nowhere or expected in the case of Alvarez, who was going into last year, was the top prospect out of all of Major League Baseball. But now, here we are, Met fans. And I'm sure there's a lot that are angry, frustrated, bitter. And I'm surprised again about Verlander for this reason. I get it that next year is a transition year and they weren't going to keep Verlander on the team because of that. And sadly, we had to hear Max Scherzer say that. And even when it was brought to Billy Epler's attention later that afternoon on Tuesday where Scherzer came out in his press conference to say, well, based on the conversations I've had with Steve Cohen and Billy Epler, they said that, uh uh-uh, they're not going to compete next year. That it looks like it's going to be 2025. And then when it was brought to Epler's attention by the media, he said that, I don't want to get into that conversation. Well, why is Scherzer coming out to address the State of the Union on the Mets and Epler didn't even remotely put out even a statement to say, well, this is what we're doing, people. I know I mentioned a fire sale that we're not going to go that route a few days ago, but based on the last 48 hours, this is the best thing for the organization. You didn't hear any of that. Which makes you think that Epler's going to be on his way out anyway because David Stearns, the former Brewer, VP of Baseball Operations is going to be waiting in the wings once his contract is up after this year. And David Stearns is a guy that's from Flushing. I believe grew up as a Met fan. So you would think that Steve Cohen is going to buzz him the second that contract is up and see if he can bring him on board to get this organization to the point where we could have sustainability and hopefully success year in, year out and not just be one-hit wonders or even two-year hit wonders as we saw there in 2015-16 when the Mets made it to a World Series and then lost in a wild card round to the Giants in that one-game playoff. But one more time, I'm here for this retooling or rebuild, whatever you want to call it. Unless they decide this offseason they want to get rid of some of these contracts. And you can forget about Lindor either because they're going to have to eat a ton of that. And I'm sure... If you give Steve Cohen truth serum at this very moment, and if he can unload that contract for Lindor, I bet you he would. And as a Met fan, I'd be all for it. Why? No offense to Lindor. He's put up good offensive numbers, although his average is awful. Was he 232? But you have Ronnie Mauricio, a guy that's waiting in the wings to play shortstop. Luis Angel... Acuna is a guy that also plays infield and is a shortstop by trade, albeit he's 19 years of age. But he's a guy that also you could plug possibly in the outfield. Maybe center field, you could move Nimmo to left because they're going to need a left fielder. And they have all these guys even drafted a shortstop this past draft just, what, three weeks ago. So they have infielders aplenty on this team. So, yeah, if they were able to get rid of Lindor tomorrow, I'd be all for it. Why not? Let's start this retooling ASAP. But we know that's not going to be the case. And Alonzo's going to be a free agent after next year. And even Cohen brought that up. They have to sign him. And I'm not trying to make Pete Alonzo out to be Mike Piazza in 1998. 
because Piazza, we all know that because of that trade, they needed to resign him, and they did. But Alonzo is your guy. He's homegrown. We've seen what he's done. We understand he's going to put up big-time power numbers. The average, although last year was pretty good, but this year, it's in the Dave Kingman territory. And his defense, obviously, is not going to be confused with Keith Hernandez. But, he's a guy that you have to keep on your team because he's a big bat to go along with Alvarez, who could is also a big bat, and he's young. McNeil, hopefully he can turn it around. Nimmo's going to be part of the fabric here. And I understand you're going to need some big-time offense because it's not going to be just Alonzo, Alvarez, and Lindor because he's going to be on this team, barring a miracle. But let's go. Let's see what we can do. Because bringing in a guy like Shohei Otani is not going to cut it. And although it's sexy and it's box office and it's going to bring people to the ballpark, but that's not the route that the Mets sound like they're going to go. And unless they change their mind in the flick of a switch... And it's going to be, here we go again, starting up that merry-go-round. And I don't want to be a part of that. Been there, done that. It seems like they have pushed that philosophy to the side. Now let's build it this way. One more time, I'm here for it. Now let's stick to it. Because if they pivot again, based on whomever's going to be out there in this offseason, and they're going to need pitching in the worst way. And before I pivot and move on to what's going on in baseball, two things. Number one, Here are your pitchers that the Mets are going to need when it comes to free agency. And I'm not in love with a lot of them. There is one guy I would pick. The aforementioned Otani, Aaron Nola, Blake Snell, Julio Urias, Lucas Giolito, Sonny Gray, Jordan Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, Eduardo Rodriguez, who, by the way, passed up on going to L.A. as he balked at that trade, which makes you think, That's a guy I don't want to have on my team if he's not willing to go to a pressure cooker to win a World Series. Marcus Stroman, been there, done that with him. The one guy that I like on this list is Julio Urias. Lefty, throws hard. I know he hasn't had the best of years. Maybe a lot of pressure on him to deliver considering that the Dodgers have been just decimated by injuries when it comes to their rotation. But he's a guy that's young. He's in his mid-20s. I would sign him. Aaron Nola, I'm not in love with. Of course, who doesn't love Otani, but we know the price tag that's going to come with that signing. Blake Snell, as I've said a million times, he is Scott Casimir 2.0. He'll pitch you five good, if not spectacular, solid innings, but he also walks the ballpark and he'll be at 100 pitches before you know it. And forget about Sonny Gray and Jordan Montgomery. No, no, no. I don't want stopgap guys, Lance Lynn. No, no, no. I'll pass on those guys. So that's number one. And number two, and I failed to mention this on the podcast before I move on to what's going on in baseball. I better not see a video tribute for Max Scherzer when the Texas Rangers come to City Field later on this month. And as you would think, Jacob DeGrom, I'm sure, although not going to be in the rotation, Tommy John surgery, but you would think he would make the trip back because that's where the video tribute would be earned and deserved. Granted that the last couple of years with the injuries and not being the Jacob DeGrom that we saw in 2018-19 there in the back half of 2022, remember that 2021, he pitched to an ERA under 1, or was that under 1.1? And then the 
injuries just piled on and then we didn't see him for over a year until he got back into the rotation last year. Video tribute to him if he makes the trip, which you think he probably will, no problem. Max Scherzer, forget about it. If Steve Cohen's even thinking about compiling a little montage for one Max Scherzer, he better think twice about that. And that's all I'll say in reference to the Mets. And we may not even talk much about them between now and the end of the year, which I'm sure a lot of the listeners are saying, yeah, thank goodness we don't have to hear Jay Reels again get on the soapbox and talk about the Mets. So let's cut to what's happening in baseball as far as the latest and greatest with this wild card and division chase. We know the division chase is prominently in the AL West, the AL and NL Central, which has to have a team go to the postseason, which may not be long for October, but that's going to be the case with the Reds, Brewers in the NL, with the Guardians and Twins in the AL, and we know that the Rangers and Astros are going to go at it here as far as a division title, which is going to be big because chances are, and most likely, not even chances are, because the AL Central winner is going to be so bad and they're going to be locked in as a three-seed, your two seed is going to be the AL West winner, and that means you don't have to play in the wild card round. And the Rangers, who have been in first place pretty much the whole year, looks like it could be a Met Brave race, as you saw there last year, where the Mets were in first place all year. And I know here I am with the Mets again, but we'll see how that race unfolds out there in the AL West. But we know the NL East is a foregone conclusion where the Braves are going to win. The AL East, I know it's Baltimore and Tampa. We'll see, but we would think that Baltimore, based on what they've done here over the last couple of months, and the Rays, I know they just won two out of three at Yankee Stadium. They did lose yesterday 7-2. Let's see if the Yankees can get back on the beam as they have the Astros coming in this weekend for four games starting tonight. And Verlander may pitch either tomorrow or Saturday. So that's another thing to look forward to, Yankee fans. But the AL East, other than those top two teams, obviously competitive with Toronto, the Yankees, and Boston trying to jockey for playoff position in the wild card. And then in the NL West, it's the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks, as well as the Giants, although they have faded here, as we've seen. And we would think that when it's all said and done, the Dodgers will end up being the two seed in the National League, as they're currently just four in the loss. I get it's two and a half, but four in the loss, and that's what you have to really look at. And with the Diamondbacks now 7 in the loss, you would think you could forget about them for the division. So that's what we have in the big picture when it comes to the division and wildcard races. And as we take a look at the wildcard overall, we know that the National League is going to be just a rock fight to the end, at least so we think. Although the Giants have had some separation here because remember, you had those five teams, Giants, Phillies, Brewers, Marlins, Diamondbacks, as early as Monday, separated by literally a game, game and a half. But now the Giants, they have a one-game lead, although one and a half over the Phillies for the 4-5 slot in the wild card. Brewers are a half game behind the Phillies. The Marlins are in a flat-foot tie with the Brewers for the sixth seed in the National League. And the Marlins won a big game there last night. They had lost the first two games to Philly and a crushing one in the second game where David Robertson came in with a 2-0 lead in the ninth inning, and he gave up three runs, including a two-run homer to Nick Castellanos in the ninth inning in a brutal loss. And it looked like yesterday they were on the verge of losing. 5-4 there late. They tied the game in the ninth. Philly scored two in the top of the tenth. The Marlins answered with two. 
The Phillies scored one in the 11th. Marlins answered back. And then the Marlins won in the 12th, 9-8. In an enormous win for them. And they had the finale of their four-game set, 12-10. That's a game that we'll keep an eye on to see where the Phillies and Marlins, and they're currently separated by a game. Really a half game now that I think about it because the Phillies are 58-50, Marlins 58-51. And then you have Arizona, a game back of the Marlins and Brewers in the wildcard race. And then you have the Cubs who are just a game in the loss, but a game and a half behind the Diamondbacks. And the Cubs have played well too. So you also have to throw the Cubs there. The Padres, three in the loss, four back. I'm not even going to go there with the Mets. So you have all those teams that are going to be jammed together to see whether or not they're going to either sneak in or make their way into those top three seeds in the wild card or who's going to fall off. A lot to be said there in the wild card. And then as far as the American League, Tampa currently three games between the loss over Houston who have now overtaken the Blue Jays as they have the third spot two games behind the Astros. And then you have the Red Sox, Yankees, Mariners, Angels, two and a half, three and a half, both the Yankees and Mariners, and four for the Angels, who lost a back two in Atlanta over the early part of this week. And then Seattle won two out of three against the Red Sox. So even though they gained a little bit of ground, but there's still a game behind Boston as currently constituted. And as I mentioned, Yankees, three in the loss, three and a half back as the Astros come to town. So, and they're currently, when you look at the standings, what are they? Five and a half back behind the Astros. So, by any chance, if they sweep the Astros, they'll just be a game and a half behind Houston. But as we know, that's probably not going to be the case. And you're not going to see Garrett Cole pitch this weekend because he pitched last night against the Rays and won beating Shane McClanahan. So, that's where we are here in both the AL and NL as the trade deadline is come and gone. We've talked about the players that have gone to certain teams. We talked about who's going to be in the thick of things and who may not. And you know it is going to be a sprint here over the last roughly 55, 56 games to get to October 1st and see where the dust will settle when it comes to who makes it for the hunt to Red October. And as we know, there's still plenty of time between now and then. You know I'll be all over this and on top of it as we get through these dog days of August and through this Sports Dead Zone Part 2. All right, now let me put on my helmet and shoulder pads because guess what, NFL fans? Tonight, the exhibition season begins. The Hall of Fame game, Canton, Ohio, Jets, Browns. You're not going to see Aaron Rodgers. or likelihood, not going to see Deshaun Watson. You're going to probably see some bad football. You're probably going to see a score of 13-6. to 6, But... I know that they're going to rejoice and you're going to see a lot of it on social media to where football is back, I'm pumped, I'm ready. One more time, people. Wake me up September the 10th. Don't even wake me up five weeks from tonight because when the schedule came out and I talked about it then and I'll bring it up now and I'm going to have to bring it up five weeks from today. I don't like the opener between the Lions and Chiefs. I hate the game. Hate it. And I'm not saying that just to piss off the NFL fan or to be a hater or to be a contrarian. No offense to the Lions. No offense to what they did in the second half of their season. What did they start off? 1-7 and seven, and they finished 9-8. and eight. Kudos to Dan Campbell, the head coach. Kudos to Jared Goff. Kudos to 
everything that the Lions have done and built going into this year. I hate the game because Detroit is unproven. They're not trustworthy. They're not going to be that team that you could say, oh, this is going to be a great opener to the NFL season. I could see this being, before you blink, 17-0 first quarter, Chiefs-Lions. It would have been better if they put the Eagles there because the Eagles do make a trip to Kansas City. And I get it that because the NFL has so many mouths to feed with the networks, whether it's the Thursday night package on Amazon, whether it's the Sunday night NBC package, the Monday night ESPN package, the CBS and Fox 425 America's Game of the Week. You have all these different networks and all these different outlets that the NFL has to appease that, of course, they're going to save that game for mid-year. I believe they play week eight. So you're going to get the Lions. The Lions. They haven't made the playoffs in eons. They haven't been relevant in forever. And listen, I'm not trying to rain on the Lion Parade by any stretch. And I get it for the faithful in Michigan that are listening. If there are anybody from Michigan that are listening, I'm rooting for you guys. I hope the Lions have a big year. I hope they win a division. I hope they host a playoff game. I hope the game on Thanksgiving is going to be meaningful. But they are the Lions. They're not a team that you could say automatically, yes, I'm going to be locked, focused in to see the Lions and how they're going to perform here on this Thursday night game to start the season. As it is, everybody's going to watch as we know. It could be a peewee football squad against the Chiefs. It's going to get a high rating. Understood. But one more time, people, if you think the Lions are going to go in there like gangbusters, and they probably will, but until Patrick Mahomes is 10 for 14 in the first half, 173 yards, two touchdowns or three touchdowns, and it's 21-3 at the half, I don't want to hear people getting upset or saying, oh my God, this is a terrible game. Why did they put the Lions there? You heard this back in May when the schedule was released, and you're hearing it here right now. And let the Lions go in there and be up 17-14 at the half. I hope that's the case. I hope I'm wrong. But prove it to me, Detroit Lions. Let me see that otherwise. Because until then, this is going to be maybe not 45-10. But I could see this being a rocking chair game and non-competitive in the second half. That's all I'll say there. Other than that, just wake me up there September 10th. Because I'm not going to get in on all of the minutiae of second string players and these draft picks, so on and so forth. It's just a waste of time. It really is. Sorry. And as if Bronco camp couldn't go any worse considering the comments, and I talked about that on Monday. I'm not going to break down how Nathaniel Hackett said he broke the code on Sean Payton and his comments last week and Aaron Rodgers coming to his defense, so on and so forth. Uh Uh-uh. I'm not getting into that and rehashing that whole story, but you got to feel for what's gone on there, whether your name is KJ Hamler, who has had to leave the team based on a heart issue. And we only hope that his recovery is going to be speedy. And if he even plays this year, that we'll have to wait and see. And kudos to DeMar Hamlin, who's back in camp and had an interception there the other day. Hopefully he has a healthy year and plays every game and even becomes a Pro Bowl caliber player. So we'll have to wait and see on that. But then also the wide receiver, Tim Patrick, has an Achilles tear, so he's going to be gone. I understand he is not Brandon Marshall of Bronco years past, or even Steve Watson, the old receiver going back to the 70s, or even the three amigos, 
the days of John Elway in the mid-80s, but Tim Patrick out, so the Broncos certainly have had enough heartache, no pun intended, or just a lot of injuries there that they've suffered here the early part of camp, so they are certainly not off on the right foot when it comes to getting their team prepared, ready, healthy more so, and as their first preseason game awaits, I will believe sometime next Thursday. That's all I have with the NFL, people. I'm not going to delve into it any further. And then, I guess lastly, do I even talk about the Women's World Cup and how the U.S. A-team dodged a severe missile? That being a shot from a Portugal player hitting off the crossbar in the 90th or 91st minute, where if they would have lost that game, they would have been out of the World Cup. Because it's on the other side of the world, and no offense, soccer fans, but because it's soccer, I'm not going to get wrapped up in it. I didn't get wrapped up in the Men's World Cup. Yeah, I did talk about it, and I certainly talked about the finale. That was a big thing when you had France and Argentina, and we know how that unfolded and how that finished, etc. But I can't get worked up or wrapped up into the women's team or this World Cup And if they happen to lose this World Cup, am I going to lose sleep over it? I'm not. Just as if if the men's were to get into the play of 16 and they lost in that round, or let's say they got to a quarterfinal, semifinal, and even a final. Would I be disappointed? Would I be just crestfallen? Would I even look at it from a standpoint of, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight because the U.S. had that much of a shot to win the whole thing? I can't say I do. And part of the reason why, it's not because of the sport. It's because I'm not invested in it. When you're invested in a sport, in a team, and one more time, people, as I talked about the Mets for whatever it is, 15, 20 minutes earlier, that's a team that I grew up with. That's a team I've been following since I've been four years old. So 50 years that I've been carrying this team in my heart, there goes the investment. I don't have that with soccer. And I certainly don't have it for the USA men's team. I certainly don't have it for the USA team. I don't have it for the MLS. I don't have it for any particular player, team, the sport overall. That's the reason why. So before you think I have something against soccer, before you think that, oh, soccer isn't a real sport, of course it's a real sport. But again, I have no allegiance. I have no investment. So therefore, it seldom gets discussed here. And yes, I know I recently talked about Lionel Messi. We know the star that he is. We know that he is a Mount Rushmore player when it comes to the sport all time. So I'd be just flat out stupid if I didn't bring that up. And yes, I believe even in the game last night, they won 3-1. to one. The Messi magic continues there down in Miami. But it's the regular season. Let's see if that team gets to the postseason. And then maybe we'll even delve in it, into it more and I'll massage it to the point where, hey... Maybe I'll even get into it at that time. But still, it's not as if I'm eating, breathing, sleeping soccer on a day-in, day-out basis. So that's my point, people. Other than that, NBA is quiet. National Hockey League is quiet. College football, although if you're Northwestern, boy, you've had a rough summer, which I won't unpack here. Other than that, that is your podcast. As we get through the Sports Dead Zone, And hopefully things will start to percolate and start to open up as we thought was going to happen here over the last couple of weeks. But now it started to quiet down a bit. But that's quite all right, people, because I am not going anywhere. 
Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for participating, carving out a few precious moments out of your day to listen to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, like I mentioned at the top, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review, just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. I would sincerely appreciate it. Hit me up on any of my socials via DM or email at the following. Subscribe, of course, on YouTube, at J Reels. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, The J Reels Podcast. Twitter, J Reels One, just a number. The email address, The J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA. As I like to say, I'm not going anywhere as long as I'm alive and breathing. I'm talking about what I love, about the passion, fire, fury, energy that comes out of my voice each and every podcast. With nothing but thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise, feelings on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Center to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.